you reach a crossroads in in your career as an analyst where you determine you're going to do one of two things. You're going to say true to yourself and be a technician, and I say that, or or you move on and, and you move into a leadership role where you bring others along the journey. Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where we have peer-to-peer conversations with data science leaders to get their tips, tricks, secrets, and mistakes so you can learn from them. My name is Felipe Flores. I am a data science executive with over 17 years of experience and currently working in a healthcare AI company as head of data science. Today, my guest is Craig Rollins. I've known Craig for a number of years and I always enjoy uh, chatting with him, picking his brain, hearing all the exciting work that he's been up to and uh, I always learn a lot and it's always a blast. Um, Craig is the, or Craig Rollins is a senior executive for information management at Medibank Private in Australia, which is a, a health insurance fund. Craig's role is to provide leadership aligned with expertise in delivering pragmatic business results, focus in information management solutions while leading improvements in the data landscape. He's done tremendous and amazing work in Medibank uh, really helped accelerate their journey in the data space. He tells us a lot about that. He, Craig's originally from the UK. Has uh, He worked for a long time in banking and finance. And um, during that time, so while he was in that industry, made the move across to Australia, which he tells us how that happened, and then moved into health insurance. Um, what he's done there is absolutely impressive. I learned a lot from the conversation. I hope you enjoy it too. Here's a conversation with Craig. Data Futurology's audience is continuing to grow and grow. Did you know that over 12,000 other data enthusiasts across the globe are listening to this episode as well? Well, that's over 20,000 weekly listens to hear content that is loved and shared in the data community. To see how your brand can be featured here or how else Data Futurology can connect you to your audience, visit datafuturology.com forward slash sponsors or leave an audio message via the show notes below. Connect with us so we can collaborate. We can help you grow the presence of your business and you would also be helping to continue to grow Data Futurology. Thanks. Hi, this is Felipe. Today I'm speaking with Craig Rollins. Craig, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm going really well, so thanks very much for the invite, Felipe. Um, I think I'm in the hundreds now, so probably would have asked if you invited me a little earlier. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually been somebody that that has been on my list uh, to invite, so I'm I'm excited that we get to chat now. Definitely been looking forward to um, to hearing hearing more about your story and and, and picking your brain. Um, and well, first first of all, how's how's the lockdown been treating you so far? Um, so Felipe, as I said, uh, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but it's actually treating me quite well. Um, I'm an introvert, so um, not having all of those people come to me every five minutes has actually been quite relaxing for me uh, in comparison to probably being in the office. So, um, and it also allows you to focus on something. So, um, yes. So- most people say no. I say actually um, I'm quite okay, and I'll probably change a few work routines off the back of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm I'm um, very much on your camp, and I'm I'm thinking about the same. Maybe maybe instituting like a day a week from home. Um, see if I can get away with two. Maybe what what are you thinking? Um, I was going to say I'm actually similar to you. One to two days will be good. Where where we can maneuver things so that the concentrated time can be done at home where it's nice and quiet and you can get those things done and piled through and uh, I'm sure you'll attest to when you're in an office there are umpteen interruptions when you really want some some headspace and some thinking space so uh, that can be quite <laughs> difficult and when at home it still can be I, I hear dogs barking etc and kids in obviously because of the lockdown now but I do believe as we come out of it, it'll be it'll be somewhat different, um, and I think it will be a better outcome all around. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, man, uh, you've you've spent um, obviously you've spent your career working in data. You've you've um, very accomplished and working across all these senior roles over time. I wanted to first take you back to the start and ask you about the uh, bit of the origin story. How did you first get interested in data? 
how was it that you were introduced to the to the data world what pulled you in what was the the first few years for you like um so felipe mine's a, an odd story in in the data world i'll say that first of all so i just want to preface that it was none of the the normal standard going through grade up and in um my career actually from leaving school was a joint royal air force back in the uk had a lovely time um left after the gulf war um was was due to be in a role but because i was on call for the gulf war the role fell away so yeah um and then I joined um, First Direct, which is, as everybody knows, is the internet and telephone banking, first one in the, in the UK, which is part of HSBC. And I joined it in the risk team, believe it or not, with numbers, surprisingly, beta guy. Um, but um, I did that looking at people's um, financial background and financial difficulties. And they passed me lots of um, MI, basically. And they said, can you, can you start doing some reporting, et cetera? Yeah, okay. So a lot of fun actually. So um, went did it. Um, the IM team, as such, at First Direct heard about some of the things I was doing. Came over to see what I was doing. Asked about some use cases, and seconded me into the team. Um, and they they threw me uh, a SaaS book, and they said, um, "We've given you this application, SaaS. Uh, yeah. Go away and code. And if you're any good, um, we're all good." And uh, I found it quite natural, so it was, um, it was quite an easy transition. And I started doing things for them and use cases for them in the risk world that they didn't need to do themselves. And we found that some of them were particularly beneficial to the bank. So, um, and in the end, I did things like um, a scorecard for early recessions of in you know early early recession indicators in there, so people were. were, were pretty pleased so um so that was that was the first foray in there and then like most people um and i say this like most people you, you reach a crossroads in in your career as an analyst where you determine you're going to do one of two things you're going to say true to yourself and be a technician and i say that or or you move on and, and you move into a leadership role where you bring others along the journey i don't think you can do both right i think it's very difficult to do both um so for instance yeah. as much as i would love to continue to be an analyst and sit and have my headphones on and a cup of coffee and just code away, that'd be great. I mean, I, I, I do reminisce about those days. Um, being a leader means you have to step away from that and you have to understand that you step away from that. So that was the early days. And how how was that decision for you of um, coming? I Actually, well, first I should say, I didn't know you were in the Air Force, man. That's uh, that very, <laughs> yeah. very good good to find out. This is, this is what I like about uh, one of the many things that I like about doing the podcast, get to get to know people better. Um, Felipe, I'll, I'll, send you a, yeah? I'll send you a picture of me in my uniform. Um, there's two things about it. Number one, it's black and white. And number two, I've got hair. How's that? <laughs> that I need to see. That is great. Right. I'll, I'll send you that. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, tell me tell me a bit more about, about that decision. Um, between staying as an analyst or or becoming a, a leader, what what were you thinking about it at the at the time? Uh, what were some of the some of the considerations um, that that led you uh, down your path? Um, how did you think about it? How did you make the decision in the end? Yeah, um, it, part of it's a career path, right? So when I, as I said, I started at First Direct. Um, as I outgrew the role at First Direct, I, I joined GE working in the store cards. And I did that as a, as a fraud analyst because I wanted to do something different. And then I moved on to looking after decision systems like strategy manager, et cetera, and decision tree. So I was getting more and more diverse in, in those kind of areas. And then a friend of mine joined um, what was part of Lloyds Bank now, but was a, a Halifax Bank of Scotland. And, and effectively said to me, Craig, they've got really good toys here, tech toys. <laughs> that was great in comparison to GE, but it also meant, and he, but he did say like, the role is more of a leadership role, and that was that was a crossroads for me. It was a uh, do and I was leading sort of one or two or three people as a as, as a senior analyst, as most of us do as we as we move up, mentoring people. But then it was a okay, if I'm going to take this, I've got to do it properly, and I've got to start moving into into the leadership outcome. 
and I need to step away from doing the analysis. So I need to step away from, from being around scorecard. I need to yeah. step away from doing scorecard monitoring. All the things that I really enjoy doing, by the way. Um, decision trees in, in, in a risk system, in a decision system, which were great. I loved them. I, I really enjoyed all of them. But um, I consciously said, probably not going to do that for 20 odd years. It's probably just not going to be me. I won't do it that. Uh, but what I will do is try and bring people along the journey and make sure my, my, my teams and myself enjoy that journey as, as we go and do it. So, so that was a conscious decision. Um, and it works out fairly well. As, as, as today, I hope uh, most people will say. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would like to think most of my teams have enjoyed it. I won't say they all have, but most of them have. Um, and they've, I've learned a lot along that journey. I can tell you there's a huge amount along that journey. Oh man, that's that is awesome. And um, what what surprised you uh, the most in the early days when you when you moved um, from from being you know quite senior as an analyst and then moved into into leadership and management? Um, some do you have any any memories of of early surprises or or maybe early mistakes or things that you that you learned along the way? Oh, the list is longer, mate. <laughs> right? So there's a, there's a whole catalogue of them. But um, yeah, I can remember um, early days making mistakes on being on reporting that we were doing. Um, and it was actually I can say this because they're, they're over in the UK, but it was for Sainsbury's at the time. We made some fairly fundamental mistakes, and we didn't do the appropriate amount of checking, and some numbers went out, and they went up to fairly senior people. And 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 also bang, you know, there was a there was a rebuke, and it was a it was a good lesson around making sure that what we send out, we, we always talk about this, what we send out is accurate, not necessarily early or on time, but if it's a day delayed, let's make sure it's accurate. So that was that was a really early lesson into making sure that, that what we send was a good quality outcome for our customers. So that, that was that was number one. There's been a couple around. Default as there always are, where, um, and I can tell you some of these. So, recruitment, um, is, they're funny now, but they weren't funny at the time, let me just say. Um, so, we, every leader will make at least one error in recruitment. I can tell you that now. Oh. Nobody gets a 100% record, right? So, so um, and I'm sure you've got some stories as well, right? Oh. So, so here's a couple of mine. Yeah. And then, and then it'd be great to hear maybe one of yours. So, uh, one of mine was, was a young guy. Um, and we were recruiting from the from the co-op, and he was he was a fabulous analyst. He was really sharp, um, and he maintained that he would he would make the commute, and he'd be great. And he did for a week, and then he left. So that was the first one. It was a whole week. He made it for a whole week, and then he left. Um, and his excuse was his, his girlfriend wanted him back home earlier, and the and the commute was too long. So that was number one. And number two was. Um, we gave this guy a chance, um, and during that chance, um, he was fairly new into his career, and we were in a, a town hall um, with all of the what you would class as the executive leadership, and he was sat pretty firmly at the front, and he fell asleep in the middle of the town hall. <laughs> um Obviously, it was noticed and clearly, and he was right up front. He'd fallen asleep. I can't remember if he was snoring or not, but anyway. <laughs> um, so I had to have a conversation later on, and I had the conversation. It transpires, and this this was this was the, the, the fun part behind it. He had young family. He, he was working with us. He was he was doing a university course at home, um, and he was trying to start a sideline business as well. So he had all these four things going off at once, which, which clearly meant. Zero sleep, right? Which is why he fell asleep. So I had a conversation and said, "Look, from a priority basis, clearly we all recognise family is very important. Um, work pays the bills as well. By the way, so there's there's a level of commitment there. You can't do all four. So, so which one are you going to drop? Um, many didn't drop uh, as as it stands, and he was still maintaining that he could do all four. Um, and ultimately, we had to performance manage him out because you just didn't take take it." Um, he actually went away to, and he didn't. He didn't know what he was going to do, but he was going to make a decision between opening some kind of fashion boutique, and 
I'll be honest, he didn't know much about fashion. I saw his dress sense, one. And two, um, something with a telephone, selling, reselling telephones. He didn't either in the end. Um, and about six months later, his CV came back over to my desk. Um, and it was a clear um, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> so there you go. And yours? <laughs> oh, man. Um, also, so so many. But I had a, I had a one um, where um, we had... During the during the interview process, we had technical interviews, and um, at the mo at the time we didn't have live coding sessions, but we gave people some data, and then asked them to solve a problem, and then come back and show us the the code and walk us through the code. And this guy, young guy, he um, smashed the did really well in the interviews, and he smashed the the coding interview, and he showed us like all oh, this great code, really good. Anyway, got him into the team, and um, leading during that during that coding um, uh, interview process, during the project that we gave them, he maybe would have written like two thousand lines of code in maybe two weeks that they had sort of elapsed time. Obviously, he didn't work on it full time, but say two thousand lines of code in these two weeks. He starts on day one. He couldn't write one line of code in the whole day, <laughs> and like. <laughs> Couldn't couldn't do couldn't do anything, and then um he and then sort of I was a bit puzzled, and the day finished, and he went home, and then came back with all this code in the morning, and he's like, oh, I did the the charts that I had to do yesterday. Okay, that's good. And then um the second day, same thing. He couldn't code anything during the day, but then he came back with the with the code done the next day. And, yeah. Obviously, it was like, all right, mate, who's doing this for you? <laughs> What's going on? And um, yeah, and it was his brother. It was his brother that did the work for him. And he lied and went through the interview um, and didn't have the skills. <laughs> I was like, what are Brilliant. you doing? And then, so obviously, we had to let him go. And then um, six or eight months later, his brother applied for a job. <laughs> He's like, I know what you guys are doing. <laughs> Oh, anyway, so um, I've I've um, found it so interesting. You've spent you you well, you did spend a long time in in financial services, obviously before um, uh, jumping into insurance and and healthcare, so associated, but working more more time in in banks. Um, when uh, two two things like how how and when actually did you end up in in australia how how did that happen and then and then i'll ask you more about thoughts in about you know your time in banking in in general okay um the australian move again is not a, a straightforward one so i mean I'm a, it was it was over a coffee conversation believe it or not so um i love it so we came away on holiday um this is nine Ten years ago, probably, and during that holiday, we were we said we would stay in Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. We had family members in Sydney and Perth, but we wanted to see the sporting mecca of uh, of Melbourne. Came over, and a friend of mine um, owns a uh, recruitment agency, and he kept in touch with some people who'd moved out from what was Experian, which was a credit reference agency, over to Australia many years ago. One of them was a, a really nice guy. Who some of your audience would be familiar with a guy called Tim Brinkler. Um, now he was CRO at Latitude. He was also fairly senior at ANZ, and that's the time I met him at ANZ. And uh, we'd gone through uh, from negative to positive bureau in the UK, and and Australia were, were were thinking about it. You know how long it takes, so they were thinking about it. Didn't actually get there till till fairly recently. And we had a long conversation. Um, it was only going to be half an hour. But it turned out to be to probably almost be nearly two hours, and resulted in my wife ringing me saying, "Where are you? <laughs> I'm supposed to be on holiday." Uh, anyway, so apologies, and then I moved away from there. He took my number and said, um, "Can we call you later on?" You know, and that was some conversations that occurred in the background, and uh, and then. Uh, a second guy, some of you people might know quite well, who, who used to run Connected Analytics, but now is a managing director at um, Deloitte's, Mike Jones. It's also, I entered, rang me in Perth, had a conversation. 
And uh, an ANZ offered me a job. And that was it. Right? ANZ offered me a job. And I had a choice to make because I was doing really well at Barclays, or I felt I was doing really well at Barclays at the time. Yeah. I had four offshore teams, two onshore teams. Um, so I had two teams in India, one doing um, scorecards in uh, scorecard monitoring in Noida, one doing BI in, in Pune. Um, I had a decision science team in New York. Um, and I had the normal sort of data management team in, in Leeds and London. So I had some fairly diverse teams and we were going well. What wasn't going so well was my health because I was working some, some incredibly long hours because those teams were across from very early in the morning for the UK to, to very late at night. So the choice for us was when I went back and spoke to, to Barclays, of all of those where your teams are situated, Craig, you can you can live wherever you want. So you know, if you want to live in New York, you can go and live in New York, which is quite appealing at the time because I quite enjoyed yeah. my uh, my time periods when I was out there with work. But we settled for what we decided was a, a lifestyle change and an adventure, which was coming to Australia. And we said, oh, we'll do two years and we'll see how we go. Obviously, two years is now. PR citizens, we're here. Um, so 10, um, 10, 11 years later? 10, 11 years later and a, and a few other roles in between. So um, so that was the move, right? Um, um, as I said, very, very interesting way that's happened. And I know a few others who have done it, something similar, but not, not too many. Um, but we, I was always open, obviously, from my Air Force days, I was obviously always open to different cultures and different places. So, so this to me, by the way, Australia is not too dissimilar from, from the UK. I just don't say talk English as well as the English people do, clearly. But, you know, apart from that, they're all good. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's good. And it's been a good move. And we've loved it. I mean, it's been a, it's been a great choice, I think, from a career. You know, I've, I've done some things here that I haven't done in the UK. Um, and it's been a great uh, choice from a family point of view as well. So um, I don't regret it. I think it's been brilliant. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's great. And um, I... I had noticed the the breadth of your um, of your remit when you were when you were at Barclays, and obviously um, since <laughs> since then it's it's continued that way. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you about two things, like how how did you get to a point where you were covering so much breadth in the in the data space, and then and then also. I, I find it really interesting that you're you're able to do the the analysis, the sort of the deep dives, and, and you led teams doing doing the you know the risk modeling and, and deep analytics, but also um, you are able to do the the hardcore technical sort of IT infrastructure data management behind behind it that that powers and fuels the analytics. Um, how did you end up covering both areas um, yeah, so well? And where, where, how did that interest uh, develop? So it's sort of related to that breadth of the role. How, how did yeah. you end up doing, doing that? Um, well, I'm fascinated by all things data anyway. Um, I, I love science fiction, first of all. So you know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you take a leap from that and you look at data, I'm also... Um, well, you do these Myers-Briggs and things of that nature. And when we do, and, and I was tested, um, and I came back and they, they sat me down and they said, there's actually 0.3% of the people in the world's population who are more analytical than you. And I went, okay, so you, they said, you're off the scale. You're a, you're a complete outlier, right? You're off the scale, um, which is which great. I thought, all right, okay. Um, so I've always been fascinated by, by logic, by numbers, by data. Um, and, and a lot of that came naturally to me anyway. I didn't realize it came naturally, but it, but it came naturally to me. So, um, and I always keep those numbers in my head. I have a, a crazy memory for remembering my passport number or my UK national insurance number, et cetera. So, and my wife gets me to walk past things and memorize numbers as we walk past. So, there's, there's always been a sort of odd game that's, that's gone on, but I, I am <laughs> generally fascinated by data and, and the story that data tells because I believe that data gives brilliant decisions and brilliant outcomes if you use it correctly rather than what's typically been cut decisions by most people. So, and that's sort of breadth. Um, 
there is so much variety in, in data today, you know, from, as you said, from the data science world to the reporting world to the, to the information management world and all the roles in there. Uh, and to become a good leader, I guess my view was I needed to know at least a little bit about every area. Otherwise, I, I don't stand in front of my team without any credibility. Mm. But I also need to understand what my, what my customers are going to do. Because in, in the role I'm in today, in the breadth I'm in today, the breadth doesn't actually include the analytics teams. The analytics teams are, are, are outside of my, my remit in, in many ways. But I certainly need to understand what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve so that mm-hmm. I can help them with, here's your data, here is it cleansed as much as possible for those who are doing reporting. But for the analytics guys, as you and I know, they don't want it cleansed. They want that raw information so they can read into what's actually going on. Two very different items that are in there. So there's an item for cleansing and reporting and, and giving that to the board so they can they can take that information. And there's an information that the, the data scientist wants that says, I need the raw sensor information in a format that I can use. I don't want you cleaning it. I just want it in a, in a format you can use. Or I want the digital data where you can join it back to the normal data as such. But again, I don't want you cleansing because that's what we read into because we can tell if people are hovering on a page, et cetera. So we can talk about things like personalization. So so you see those, Brett, and that's, that's always fascinated me, all of those. I mean, I did write a um, scorecard myself, so propensity to go into a collections for one of those banking and finance ones. And I made sure that I was good at it so that when a conversation happened and one of the modelers said to me, oh, we're building a retro, I would have a good view. And, and I would say something, okay, that's great. And what kind of genie coefficient are you looking for, et cetera? And, you know, they look at me and they go, wow, who is this guy? I am, yeah. This is an IM guy. This, this, is, this is a knuckle scraper. This is one of the data engineers. What's he doing? <laughs> so, so we have those conversations. And um, I find that off the back of them, you get really good outcomes, right? Because if they know that you understand and you've, you've got a passion for seeing the work that they do, then, then the collaboration comes. And, and I've always had that. I mean, I've, mm. I've had very good collaborations with analytics teams if they're not in my area and reporting teams. So, so that's, mm-hmm. there's a fascination with regard to the tools. That's the fact that things move on. Um, I would hate to be an Oracle or, or a SQL Server DBA and just be doing that for 20 years. I think that would be awful. But imagine that journey for some of those individuals are now moving into all of the excitement in the cloud. That would be that would be fascinating. And if you added machine learning onto that for those guys, that's another step in fascination. So so as you can see, it's, it's a passion. Um, People say it's a hobby. I'm, I'm all consumed. So my evenings are spent, some of your podcasts, some other podcasts, um, lots of programs. Um, I love Star Trek, talking about warp drives and quantum physics and all of those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it just, just just something I, I really enjoy. And and I come to work because I enjoy work, not because I have to. Mm-hmm. So, and I would always say to my children, do something that you enjoy and, and then – you'll get very good outcomes because you're passionate about it. So there you go. That's, that, that's the tool set. Uh, I totally agree, man. That, that is, that is really good advice. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still impressed by um, how much ground you're able to cover in the data space. Uh, so, so deeply because in the, in the information management side on the technical side, um, yeah, you're, Obviously, like obviously a, a specialist, but um, but the fact that you've covered the the breadth across the the end to end is is impressive. And um, tell me about the customer focus that that you mentioned. I think that that's um, super important. Um, often not not um, discussed enough in in the data world uh, or from a, from a data perspective. How um, how did you, or what, what are your thoughts on, on a customer focused and how did you develop them and, and what are some things that you like to see in, in your teams um, when, when you think about customer focus? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably start with, um, with something that Medibank do anyway, um, which I love, by the way, and, and I used to get my teams to do it locally as part of their induction and then, and then later on. But, but Medibank have individuals who are not customer facing. Uh, we call it double jack, but listen to calls. So you actually listen ultimately. So we, 
you know, not to state that we live in an ivory tower in a tech team, but actually listening to your customer and hearing about some of the issues that they've got and then replaying them and going, oh, actually, I think I might be able to fix that. Right, so that's, that's a really powerful message. Um, for senior leaders as well, they have, they have us what they call concierge. Mm-hmm. So we go into a we go into a store. I was in Dandenong last year, um, and we spend time with the customers and we spend time with the frontline team. So we understand the pain points for both of them. Um, now we only get a day in there, which which is a shame. It would be lovely to be to be longer, but but to me that keeps the reality of what we do. Where we're, we're, you know, we're two or three places back from it to say, actually, this is the reason why we're here. These are the people we're serving. These are the outcomes that we're looking for. So I love that aspect about Medibank. I love that culture about Medibank. Um, mm. And I, I absolutely buy into it and, and, and relate to it, number one. So, so for me, from a customer point of view, and I look at, okay, what's the personalization element? Um, and I know that that no campaign team absolutely just wants to bombard a customer with, with, with useless junk for a number of reasons. One, it costs money for the for the shareholder, so that's not great for them. But two, and probably the most important one from a servicing of a customer, it's not attuned to what the customer is looking for. And it also means that they're probably going to get a lot of spam, which means they're probably going to get upset. So, yeah. so to me, they're bad outcomes. Um, in use cases, and I'll, I'll go back to, to a HBOS one for, for a use case, which I mm. this resonates with me from a, from a customer point of view. Hopefully, it resonates with you, so we'll see. But um, you know the UK has some not great weather, and that's fairly obvious to everybody, and we have we have a lot of floods. Uh, so we, HBOS, were looking at, and the, and the MI team and the analytics team were looking at and going, well, how can we service our customers better? Now, ultimately, when there's a flood, and we I, I went – to a house that had a flood and basically it was X amount of foot underwater, lots of possessions were in, the lady was 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 clearly upset, right? There was lots of memorabilia and, and really personal things that, that could never be so in the whole world. Maybe there's something we can do about that. So what we did was we plugged into what is the Bureau of Meteorology over here, but over there, and we got the flood warnings um, mm-hmm. for the UK. And we built effective models to say this is when we think they're going to burst their banks um, locally and these are the customers we've got because we can all do a, a live customer base geographically that was even we could do it then and then we had claims assessors dotted around on the road and, and and we put those claims assessors out early as soon as we knew these things were going off and we were running stored processes they would sort of fire off every 10 minutes so we could get an update on on, on what's going on particularly with the weather and we found a couple of things, first of all. We found that, obviously, when we got there, we could secure um, local builders, etc., to be able to fix property quicker, um, local decorators, carpenters, etc. Now, that was great because it meant that we could get people back in their homes earlier and that upset and upheaval was reduced. And that was they were, they were good outcomes, I can tell you. From an MPS score, they went through the roof. But to me, just from a human story, that was a really good outcome, getting somebody back in their house and making sure that their possessions are okay, et cetera. Number one. Number two, and this is the this is the shareholder element because there's always shareholder. We kept the cost down because when we went and we got there first with the local communities, we was, we could secure the labour at a cheaper rate than the other insurers. So we were getting a cheap. And obviously, we were first in the queue, so there was a backlog of jobs and there was only so many builders, et cetera, in our area. So ours are prioritised. We got people back, which means alternative accommodation was reduced. So... They were really good outcomes for both sets of customers, both the shareholder, but more importantly, ultimately the customer. And I've always said that's the outcome and that's the power that data can provide to individuals. And, and you've seen it. There are other ones. Um, I've had to do some horrible things during, during my career. So early on when I was in the risk team, I had to tell a lady who was shopping that she had to put food items back on the shelves because she couldn't afford food because it would mean that she was further in debt and that was that was probably one of the worst telephone conversations i've ever had um and mm. i wasn't happy about it but i rang her back in the afternoon we went through her, her financial position and we worked out a consolidation line through data and that wow. meant that this lady could then you know and re- not in an mi position but but through data so collation of data looking at the facts 
building out a plan that's going forward and giving a roadmap out of financial difficulties. So what started out as a really bad call eventually ended up into a good outcome. Um, and obviously, she could then afford to eat. We, we could afford to make sure the children were okay. We could consolidate lots of the, the debt that she's got and she wouldn't increase in that. And she would come out of it somewhat early. So that, to me, mm. is 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 where we all aspire to be. You know, how, how often can we help somebody out? Hopefully, ridiculously, once a day, you'll do a good deed for somebody. There's a customer. How, oh, man, that is that is fantastic that is um just really shows um the the customer element the the human element and the, the power of data that if you if you have that that human lens and you and you focus on the individual what what a difference you can make um Philippe, I've got is, one more is, for you right yeah and you'll yeah. um this one, this one's another oddball one because I'm going to try and throw as many oddball ones at you as I can to see how often I can get you right. laughing during this podcast, right? So here we go. Um, I was asked to do a, a data governance presentation, right? And when most people are asked to do a data governance presentation, they're going, oh, my God, that's a really tough subject to talk about for, for half an hour, probably yeah. without the audience falling to sleep. Okay, well, yeah. what am I going to do now? What? What transpires is I am um, last uh, last year I had um, some health issues myself, and I actually had a heart bypass operation. So I'm acutely aware of of uh, Medibank and all of those kind of things. You're you're, you're probably going to have to bleep that one out, right? <laughs> anyway, um, when we when we I'm, I was okay and obviously I'm okay now, but. I'd said to to the company at the time um, who were doing the um, the conference. Listen, I'm going to do data governance in a, in a slightly different way. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to do it from a customer's perspective. And they asked me why I meant. And I said, well, in this case, I'm going to do it from, from for a person in as a, as, a, as a kind of patient. Who would be the right surgeon? What would be the right surgery? Or who would be the right hospital? So it's an informed choice from a data governance point of view based on the facts. Mm. And I said, you can, you can relate this back to any industry. So a mortgage is not just about mortgage. It's about purchasing your dream home and a loan isn't just about a loan but it's actually about possibly your next jet ski or powerboat or a new car or, or, or paying for your daughter's wedding right so you can personalize these back but people want to inform choice about how long the loan is going to be for what the repayments are what the apr rate is etc and similar sort of thing so i said so imagine that from a patient point of view around a surgery so i went okay Sounds good. I mean, it's, it's your spot. You, you're up there on your own. You feel <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> okay. Almost, almost thinking like it's your funeral. Like, what are you yeah, going to yeah, do? Well, so, so I was up there, and I, I, I did it just so you know, and I didn't, I didn't tell the audience, but I did it from a story of um, patient A, and I, I took them through the the history and the story of patient A, and then. I said to them, look, at this point, I've got one more slide to show you, and it's probably not a great slide, so you just need to be aware of it. And I showed them a picture of my surgery. So it was a picture of me opened up, one. That was picture A. Picture B was me in ICU with tubes and, and all sorts. And then picture three was uh, was a, a terrible selfie, because I don't do selfies anyway, but it's a terrible selfie of me. And I actually said to them, I said, of all the pictures on here, the one I have to apologize most for picture freak which is a selfie and i was trying to be a little comedic about it but they got it they realized it when at the end of the presentation oh you're patient a wow and that was that was so so we went for it and that was during this and this is the this is the element that you'll love during this there was uh, an individual in the audience and they went back to the us and they were feeling uh, ill remarkably ill and unlike most individuals, maybe in their 40s or 50s, where they were put things off, based on the presentation that I went through, they went and saw their doctor. Um, and they went from seeing their doctor to having a triple heart bypass operation within a couple of hours in the US. Shame. And this person met me um, back in Australia earlier this year um, and said to me, you saved my life. 
with your presentation. And no, no, nobody can has ever said that to me before. And I'm, I dare say nobody will ever say to me again, a data governance presentation saved my life. Can you imagine? <laughs> wow. So there you go. Wow. That, man, that is amazing. That, and that it's, it's so true because, yeah, like we're, we're so likely to put off our health and, and just ignore it. Um, but having, yeah, sharing your story and giving giving somebody that, that trigger, that's that's incredible. Um, I'm, I'm blown away, man. Um, and and what were what were some of the um, some some of the elements that you were sharing during during this presentation of um, patient A, Craig Rollins? Um, oh, yeah. What, so you're gonna you're probably gonna like one of these. So I did a I did a stand up sit down, and I'd say, uh, and by the way, um, and you'll you'll get this from a data point of view. But um, whilst I was um, Whilst I was contemplating the surgery, there's a, there's a standing one where you open up the chest. But there's a second one, which is a robotic one, where they come in from the side and they break a couple of ribs. And it's a, it's a much, much, much easier one. It's a, it's a less invasive one. But it's, it, it's pretty new. So I did this stand up and sit down. And I said to them, OK, so you're the audience. Put yourself in the shoes of patient A. I want you all to stand up. But uh, as we go through, if you don't like the answers and then I want you to sit down and I want to see how many people are, are left standing at the end. Yeah. So the first question to them was, if you knew the robotics, and this is the difference between traditional, if you knew that robotic surgery was only the seventh one ever in Australia and was the first one in said hospital, would you still go for the robotic surgery? And, and obviously a number of people sat down, right? And if, but there was still a number left up. And the second question to them was, and if you knew that the surgeons who did it, one of them had done it before a number of times, but the other two had only trained recently in Korea. Um, so the surgery was due in, in July and they'd finished their training in May. Would you still go ahead with the robotic surgery? And um, again, a number of them sat down. And then the, the third one was, um, was around the hospital and the age and all of those things. And when I finished the three of the questions, there was only one lady in the audience who was remained standing. And I said to her, I didn't get I never got the chance, but I said to her, I'll have to ask you um, why you remain standing. Because you can see <laughs> you compared to everybody else from a risk analysis point of view, everybody else has sat down and they've gone, we're going to go to traditional ones. Um, so, so I did that as part of the, and that's why it was, it was, it was a slightly different one to many of the other ones, because many other ones talk about as you well know, data governance hierarchies, data quality measures, etc. And I was trying to give them a slightly different view of why data governance is important in everybody's life. And that is that is a way to make it to make it uh, make it clear the impact of of data quality and data management in in an individual's life. Um, that is amazing. That is amazing. And um, that that presentation, um, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that you know, but is is um, quite famous um, now. I've <laughs> I've actually I've actually been um been told by a, like a number of people uh, about yeah. that that were there in the, that day about how amazing that presentation and in um just showing the power of data management and, and the, the fact that the story stuck with them for so long and it's something that they still think about. Um, so, mate, that is extremely Good. well done. Yeah, thank I you. That was, that was a nice one. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. That is awesome. And um, so tell me, you're, you've, you've um, been, been at Medibank, um, I think, coming, coming up to three years now um, as general manager of information management. How, how has the time been for you? Um, what type of things have you, have you done in your time? Obviously, things that you can share. And, and what's coming up next for you um, in, um, in the role? Cool. Um, okay, so I like to think it's a good story, but um, I'll probably play you back to to the technology landscape when I arrived and and the team I think that, that, that I'll, I'll set the scene there and then I'll take you on our roadmap our data roadmap and, and, and where we're going and I'll try and relay in some of the capabilities we added so that you can see it again from a, from a customer point of view. so when I, when I arrived there was three data warehouses um, none of them were working particularly well by the way um, and they were all fairly legacy 
Um, and I'll say there was a there was a relatively disenchanted um, information management team, and and the business were not very happy with the information management team either because you had a number of teams doing information management type activities in the business because they felt that IM were too slow and too expensive. So it was a, it was not a good landscape. And by the way, when you go into most roles in a senior data role, you don't go in there because things are going well. You typically go in there because things need a need a little bit of love and attention, right? So yeah. I understood this. And over the time, effectively what we did was we stabilized the platforms, et cetera, first of all, for people. So the things that were supposed to happen did happen. And, and we went and asked, and I asked a number of stakeholders, hmm. what are the issues, um, how can we help? And there was a lot of skepticism, first of all. But we did things initially like we asked the areas for, so for the AHM brand, one of the things we asked them was if you could have all of the items out of your overnight batch and you could put them in the order you wanted rather than the order we gave them to you, tell me what that order would look like. And they gave me their priorities. And then we switched the batch round completely to their priorities. And that was a big, that was a big win for us. It was the first big win of, oh, wow, we've got these things early. And what that meant was things like they could put um, a couple of ladies on earlier in the morning and they could save what we class as lapses. So where policies uh, are falling and people are deciding to potentially go to a competitor, they can speak to those individuals and potentially change their mind, which is great for us because mm. we save that policy from churning. And the second thing is it gives those two ladies, indi individuals, flexibility about being able to work earlier in the morning, finish earlier in the day. So mm. it, was, it was a win. It was a win for for the AHM brand to, to show flexibility at work. But equally as important, it was a win for us to save a, a couple of lapses. So that was the first one, first foray in there. And then over time, as we've collapsed the warehouses, and we're on no secret, but we're on the AWS cloud. And, and we built more and more out on there. And we've been able to provide since that time to now increasing capability. So the analytics team can do marketing campaigns that are always on. Um, we call them next mm -hmm. best action, but they're personalized offers. Um, we have saved Medibank a large amount of money by moving to the cloud, by removing a lot of the legacy, but mm -hmm. removing a lot of the duplication. Um, so productivity from a Medibank point of view is great. We've also re reduced a lot of risk because the risk on all of those and moving to where we are now is very different. So we look at it in a, in a lens of increased capability to the business, uh, reduced um, risk and increased productivity. And, and they're solid foundations to build out the outcomes that we're looking for. So today, as I said, you've got the campaigns that are going on there for the analytics teams. You've got digital data that's in there. You've got sensor data in, in there. So we have a, an app that's called the Live Better app for anybody who wants to have a look at it. We glean the information from there and we try and personalize outcomes for individuals so they have better health and well-being outcomes. So mm. just things like checking, obviously I do my blood pressure fairly often, steps and all of those kind of things. But as that's coming through, you start getting more personalized recommendations from Medibank with regard to your health and well-being. So, you know, for me, it might be, you've heard about me with the technology. It might say to me, well, look, we'll incentivize you by turning your iPad or your tablet off for an hour before bed because we then know that you're going to get a good night's sleep, Craig, which is great. Um, you, you get an incentive or some points, and those points can go towards things like reduction in your health insurance, um, funding for a gym membership funding for some gym clothing, et cetera. So, you know, that resonates with a customer that you can give those kind of things back. But what also resonates is that you're taking the time to have a look at my health and look at it in a very personalized fashion. So we've got those. Um, there's a number of other things we've done. So we've looked at profitability of products, uh, making sure that Apple reporting is very accurate um, and using tools in AWS to be able to do that as well. So huge advances. We think we still got some more to do, by the way. Um, and ultimately, we've got the, the the last of the warehouses that we want to move over. And then once mm -hmm. it moves over there, we've got a full cloud platform. Now, that cloud cloud platform wow. gives you the availability and, and it gives you a different security model. So we're, we're, we're aiming for IRAP official as kind of the highest grade of what we can offer because I think we can help a lot of customers out from there. And then we've got something slightly different as well later on. So 
We've got very different flavors. All of them allow the analytics team to use various different tools, be it them native tools from AWS or open source ones. So we believe if we can bring the data to them and they can utilize it in a centralized area, they can go off and complete their use cases. So we've had some good outcomes with when Ben was there, but since Ben's been there, I left Justin Salisbury and uh, the healthcare and strategy teams to the point where you're seeing Medibank doing things like chemotherapy at home, dialysis at home, and you've even close to my heart, and you'll forgive the pun, um, cardiac rehab at home. So wow. all of these things are happening where we're effectively offering things out to a customer that says, we can do these in your own home rather than you, particularly if you're in a rural area, having to travel to a hospital. And, and I say this for a leukemia customer. You travel to a, to a hospital, you have uh, the treatment, you're in a pretty bad shape off the back of the treatment, you're not feeling 100%, you drive back. That's it's probably not a good day. But if you could have that day, and, and there's a video of a, a lovely guy called Liam, um, if you could have that day watching Netflix in a chair with your dog on your lap and a nurse coming and hooking you up, and then when you're not feeling great, going back into your own bed to, to, to almost sleep it off and then waking up and feeling much better. Um, mm. night and day those outcomes they're so much better and that's where we want to get to right and that's that resonates with me and that's part of the reason why I picked the Medibank role and really enjoyed the Medibank role because what we do in data informs those decisions to give better outcomes for people from a health point of view from a well-being point of view as well so that, that's the journey that we've taken that's at a very high level but you know trust me there's there's a lot involved to get to those. You know, I'm picking lots of legacy ETL. I'm picking lots of legacy scheduling, looking through all of the, 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 the thousands of tables that are in a, an EDW uh, Teradata box and saying, how many of them redundant? Uh, so, so there's a huge journey that takes it. And the second thing we've done is, again, because we've, we've got an onshore and offshore model. So we've got individuals in, in India who are helping us out. So, for the analytics guys, instead of saying, oh, no, we're shutting up shop nine to five, they've got resources up till 10 o'clock at night. So if they're in the middle of running some code or they've got some issues in the evening, they, they, they have some somebody that they can talk to straight away and they can have that conversation. So from very early in the morning to very late at night. Um, and that gives a very good outcome from a customer point of view internally that we're there and we're supporting them along that journey. And the conversations we have with them are, let's have a look at the target operating. And because of the journey that we've undertaken, those those cottage industries, those pseudo IM teams have all disappeared and they've all come back into the IM fold, which has been a good outcome because everybody now plays to roll. And because of that, you, you don't get a lot of the conflict that you would normally get or the politics in a data environment that, that, that I've seen in lots of other places. So yeah, from a Medibank point of view, the data analytics community pretty much get on pretty well anyway. Um, and, and we've seen that journey evolve over three years. So we think we've had some very good outcomes from Medibank based on, on the journey that we've undertaken. I think when I look at some of the offerings, particularly that the analytics guys have, have done on on our behalf based on some of the things that the IEM guys have enabled, I think we've had some great outcomes. And the actuaries will probably say the same. So that's amazing. That's the journey. Um, there's there's about a year and a half to go, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think um, no. I, I anyway. I know for a fact you've done you've done amazing in that role, and, and you've really literally helped transform the organization. Um, and how how important how how important do you think are those first few wins and 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 sort of big big wins where you can um, that you can. Uh, socialize within the organization that you can point to um, how how important were those first few wins in in setting up the rest of your journey? Oh, Felipe, uh, you can't stress enough how how important a big win is. But but as you you and I well know, no, nobody gives you ten million dollars anymore, right? You, you'll get seed funding year on year. That's that's pretty much where we go now. So so the big ones come in. You know, once a while. So you, you also have to have a number of small ones in there so that people remember that you're delivering constantly because that's what we're looking for now. Because of the ways that we work, people are looking for constant outcomes from from a data team, from a data science team. You know, yeah. the, the amount of times that you, you have a use case, you fail over and you have to move to the next one. 
very rapidly to confirm in the analytics space what you're doing. Same in the IM world, we need to move rapidly. So, so my philosophy has always been, I give them two to three small wins backed up by one big one. Uh, so that we keep the momentum going because that way we can keep the seed funding going. And we also, like we, we do all the other things like we send IM newsletters out there. So we, we have business forums, et cetera. So people are aware of the things you do. And in, in some cases for an IM team, you have to blow your own trumpet to summit because if you don't, people don't realize. In fact, for an IM team, if, if it's quiet, they're actually doing a good job because nobody's screaming that things are late and they're not there, et cetera. So you have to, to, to do a lot of your own self-advertising somewhat, which, is, which, which can be difficult because, remember, we're talking about introverts here. So, so that, that becomes quite hard to be able to maintain. It's all right to do the first ones, but it's hard to maintain. Mm. So we go through these and we go for the funding requests. But like you said, get the first big one out there. Tell the whole world about the, the, the first big one and, and then move from that point to the next one. And then more people are prepared to listen and more people are prepared to fund as you go forward, as, yeah. as you've quite rightly said. But give them, I mean, that, that batch one was the first small win. Um, but yeah. then Medibank said, the Medibank system, people said, well, you've done it for AHM. Can you do it for us? Right. I mean, that's that's the next one that's come through. So you, it's not brand specific now. It's it's group. Mm. And then you're hearing that others are saying, well, you've implemented data governance and you've resolved uh, data risk management issues and, and, and audit points. Can you help us overcome some of those? Yeah. OK, so that's the next one. So slowly but surely, we're moving the dial on, on a kind of a number of fronts to say, well, as I said, we're, we're attuning risk to the board's risk appetite where it wasn't there before. Mm. We're, mm. we're increasing productivity and people are going, so for that loyalty program, we'll live better. When we first started that, testing took four days. Now it's half mm. a day automated. And that's a standardized pattern that we do for other projects now, which is half a day. So the productivity from four days manual to half a day automated. Now, you know the hard yards to get to that one, but once you've got it, you can use it. And the ingestion templates are duplicated, right? So as we ingest data from a source system, now that's a template and the first one's harder. So you, you go, as you said, like Ford, the first car is the most expensive, the second car is half the expense, the third car is a third, etc. But this is the same with a template because the first one was harder, but once you you can reuse that pattern and that gives them completeness checks as well. So there are, the answer to these individuals is what left system A lands in the warehouse. That's great. But what we said is, what you expected to leave system A and land in system B all to happen. So you've got completeness checks wrapped into an ingestion framework, and then you add profiling on top. Then you've got really accurate outcomes. I mean, APRA asked for in their reporting, I think, um, accuracy of 97%. I won't tell you what many mm-hmm. banks is, but we're, but we're somewhat higher than that. And we always aim somewhat higher than, than APRA would anyway, but they asked for 97, and we make sure that we, we are well in excess of that because we believe wow. that giving them accuracy is the right outcome. Using this ingestion framework and using profiling on the AWS platform, they're the things that we've managed to do. So actuaries have a use case that lie like, uh, analysts have one. Using Tableau reporting to do um, profitability reporting is another one. You know, so you've got a reporting one. And, so, and then they just sort of, they continue. People see them and you, they say, oh, can you do this for us? And can you do that for us? Yeah, we think we can. So they just increase over time. And and that's the, the lovely thing I like about Medibank is the culture is quite collaborative. So people just come mm-hmm. and ask and we can't do it now, but previously people were whiteboarding away and having those conversations. And it went really well to the point where you would have really good outcomes. And they were always of... How the question is always how does ultimately that affect the customer? How does the member get the outcome of that? And that's that's what I like about it's not just can we get some new tech toys. Man, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. That is awesome. Um, I'm so impressed. And that that shit. I'm just looking at the time. That is a great note to end on. Um, Thank you, man. I am I'm so impressed with with your journey, with everything that you've done, um, your your approach to the discipline, it's definitely something that, that needs to, uh, it's more of what we need in the industry. Um, so thank you, thank you for sharing that.
um, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much um, for inviting me on and, and for sharing some of the stories. Um, I hope the audience enjoyed them as much as I think we do. Uh, me telling them, hopefully you were listening to them as well. And um, once we get out of this, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get our long overdue coffee. Oh, that'd be awesome. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.